This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to another episode of the Mom and Mind podcast, and also welcome to Maternal Mental Health Month and Mental Health Month in general. May is a really important month for us to be raising awareness and to be continuing our conversation about difficult topics, breaking stigma, understanding how mental health impacts us, and learning how we can cope and get through these sometimes really difficult mental health conditions. And maternal mental health needs a huge spotlight on it because for far too long, it's gone under-recognized, under-diagnosed, and too many people have suffered for way too long. We're going to talk to Karen Kleiman today, who has extensive experience in perinatal mental health, but also can see the long view about how far we've come and how far we still need to go. Karen is a well-known international maternal mental health expert with over 35 years of experience. She is an advocate and author of several groundbreaking books on postpartum depression and anxiety. Her work has been featured on the internet and within the mental health community for decades. In 1988, Karen founded the Postpartum Stress Center, and in 2022, she founded the Karen Kleiman Training Center, which is dedicated to the advancement of clinical expertise and therapeutic strategies for the treatment of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And all of the advanced trainings are heavily influenced by the Art of Holding Perinatal Women in Distress model of intervention created by Karen Kleiman. And I'm excited to have Karen on today because we are going to be talking about intrusive thoughts and how difficult it can be to differentiate sometimes between what is a really common and normal level of intrusive thoughts to what is more concerning, what might need more intervention or support or help. And then how can you differentiate between those? It's really important that all of us have accessible, usable tools in our toolbox so that we can get the help that we need. And Karen gives a really good perspective on how to understand what's common and normal, versus when you might need that help. So let's get into it and hear from Karen. 
Welcome, Karen. I'm really excited that you're here with us again. It's been a minute since you were on the last time, way, way early on when this all started. But so many people have been impacted by your work in such a positive way. And the books that you've put out, I know personally, my clients have benefited from it. So yeah, thanks for all that you do. Thanks for being here. It's been too long. It's been it, too long. So it has been that. too long. We should have a regular podcast date. Huh? Have you well, on? I think the first time was like a hundred years ago at PSI, right? I feel like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In person. Yeah. Oh, Philadelphia. When, Philadelphia. When life was, yeah, maybe it was Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was. Yeah. Yeah, forever ago, right? But since then, you've put out more and more books. How many books are you up to? Do you know the count? You know, I think it's fourteen. That's amazing. I, I managed to squeeze out one little book with a lot of help and support. A really and good book. I think like when I think about how much you've written, I'm just in awe because it takes for me anyways, it took a lot of effort and it just seems to just pour out of you. <laughs> Maybe that's my perspective, but as you know, it's a lot of work, but it's also when it's passion driven, it's sort of like, you know, I could sit at the computer for seven hours and it's like, whoa, I sat here all day and, you know, it just <laughs> sort of just comes, but it is, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of good feeling. It's sort of like having a baby, you know? Mm-hmm. You have a lot of book babies yeah, out I'm there. A book baby. <laughs> you know, it drives you crazy and you love it and uh-huh. all, all the emotions come out of one. Yeah, but I do think it takes, not everybody can write as many books as you have and have as much of impact as you've had. Just by being able to put all of that into somebody's hands in their home, you know, for therapists, both therapists and people who are suffering through perinatal mental health stuff, it's just so accessible. When people can't get to a therapist or get to the help that they need, they can get to a book and you have so many to offer. You know, yeah, thanks for that. But more than just the books itself, I feel like I have a voice that works because I don't write like an academic person or even a grown up for that matter. Many of my books are very chatty <laughs> and very, it's as if I'm talking to you. And, and the first book, this isn't what I expected. I remember, you know, I always say I learned everything I know from the moms who trusted me to talk to me, you know, because there weren't trainings then and there weren't books then and there weren't places to go to get this information. And so I noticed that I was sort of saying the same thing to everybody and hearing stories that sort of were similar and different and narratives that were very personal, but overlapping. And, mm-hmm. and I thought, I need something to say here. Here's what's going on. Here's what you need. Here's what, mm-hmm. you know, let me put it down. You know, once we name something, once we identify it as a real thing, it just feels much more controllable. And mm-hmm. so that's when I connected with my then sister-in-law, Valerie. Raskin Davis. And I said, you want to help me with this? And she's like, yeah, let's do it. So <laughs> she, she really motivated me to, to get the first book out. And, and that was really what jump-started my passion. And by the way, for everybody who doesn't know what they want to do in their life, you know, my first book was written when I was in my early 40s. So that's when I really realized, you know, how much I love the process itself. And the opportunity, like you said, to get in the hands of moms who are suffering to give them some information and to empower them with what does this mean? What do I do? How can Mm -hmm. I feel better? How can I Mm -hmm. take care of it myself in case I can't get any place for help? Right. And with your more recent 
books, I guess, or a couple of them, um, Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts and Now What About Us, it's just even more accessible. There's something about the images in those books paired mm-hmm. with like the real internal thoughts that mm-hmm. people have mm-hmm. that it breaks through so much mm-hmm. stuff. Like you can't not see yourself in it if you're going through it. Yeah, there is a lot of magic in this book. Mm-hmm. And you know, Molly McIntyre, who's the artist of the illustrations, she and I really connected in a way that with my words and her very authentic and relatable drawings, there's just something that, like you said, somebody can pick this up and go, I mean, she can be diagnosed with full-blown depression or she can just, you know, just be overwhelmed. She could just be a new mom that's looking for support and everybody can find something in there. And it it actually, out of all my books, felt like the very first and most powerful one to precisely to your point that it was to say, if I can't get any help anywhere else, if I'm locked in my house for a week or twelve, I can get help here. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, the expert guidance along with the journal prompting, along with the relatable comments. And so it feels like in this cute little package, you know, the, the publisher familiar did a great job of marketing it. It's like, look how sweet this little book is. There's <laughs> so much in there right. for her to take and learn from and take care of her own mental health and to not feel so isolated and uh, misunderstood. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited about getting that book into, into every mom's hands. I really am. It's really, and it's taken off in that way. And again, it's, it's never about selling books. It's about empowering moms to take care of themselves and they're, they're getting so much better at it. They are. Right. Are you really seeing that? Are you seeing the kind of growth? And I am seeing moms getting better at asking for help, let's say, mm-hmm. and getting better at saying there's something not right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're seeing more and more women suffering and we're seeing, yeah. you know, less and less support. And so it doesn't all balance out. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? While we have a couple women who are better at asking for help, we've got 10 more who are sitting at home alone without help and without mm-hmm. social support and so forth. Mm-hmm. So we're taking baby, baby, baby steps in right. the right direction. But sometimes, you know, you've known me a long time. Sometimes I get be careful how I say this, but I get a little <laughs> exasperated, you know, like mm-hmm. I've been saying the same thing for almost four decades. Mm-hmm. why aren't there bigger changes? Why isn't the medical community asking the right questions? Why are so right. many women still suffering? Why do we still have a stigma about this? Why do we, why do we, why do we, why do we? So I could just mm-hmm. go on and on. And the flip side of it is we've got social media now with this loud collective, you know, voice, hear me roar. And that's not always good either. So right. there's a downside to that. There's an upside to that. It gets a little it's a little complicated. We want to, we don't want to miss women who are quietly suffering by themselves. Mm-hmm. We don't want to over normalize women who are giving out misinformation about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Mm-hmm. We can't possibly monitor what everybody's doing and who's asking for what. So right. it's about as chaotic as everything else is, but <laughs> we want to grab my passion has always just been, is the woman sitting in front of me? Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So other people do the advocacy, other people do the research, other people do the, you know, standing on, you know, at Congress and making, you know, legislative changes. And I just want to make sure if you come into my office or if you're sitting in front of me, that you're okay when you leave. And so sort of like down in the trenches and 
Yeah. And we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot. We've come very, very far in many ways. And like I just said, in many ways, we, we haven't. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of avenues that I wanted to go down as you were talking about all that. I think we could maybe spend a whole episode on misinformation that's out there, specifically on social media. That's tough. It's tough to see. I'm sure Mm -hmm. it's hard for you to see as somebody Mm -hmm. who's been doing this for a while that, you know, some of the stuff that's out there just isn't accurate. It's Mm -hmm. potentially harmful. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that would require some in-depth you know, conversation. I really, really, yeah, I, and we won't go down there, but I do want to say that I feel especially qualified to have this conversation because my daughter had a baby and had two pandemic babies. Mm. And so, you know, I got that vantage point of, you know, seeing a new mother emerge mm-hmm. with very little support, with me sitting here behind a mask going, this woman's small birth, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just horrible for both of us. She literally gave birth to her first the day the world before the world shut down. You know? Oh my gosh. So I just watch it and I see her scrolling and getting information and she's smart and she, uh, and she checks with me for everything. Mm-hmm. Is that right? this good? Is this not good? Is this okay? <laughs> right. You know, but I see and I'm like, you know what, babe, don't just, you have to be, you have to have good, you know, you have to have good instincts. Mm-hmm. You have to have good support. You have to know what you're reading, what you're exposing yourself to. So right. you can feel good. And then in a second, it just slips on you and mm-hmm. you get exposed to something that your brain can't let go of. And now you're just ruminating about that. And that's wrong. Sure, sure, sure. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Well, um, speaking of, um, you know, your brain not being able to let go of things, some of the things that we're going to 
talk about today are intrusive thoughts. And, you know, of course, your book, Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts, goes into a lot of that. And I hear it a lot. And I think from what I've experienced just sitting with people, the pandemic really made things a lot worse in terms of just general fear out there, things to be worried about, but then fuel to the kind of intrusive thoughts fire. That's the problem. The pandemic, you know, we always defined intrusive thoughts as, you know, as random thoughts that sort of come out of nowhere by definition and bombard us with anxiety. And then when the pandemic came, which, you know, I, I don't feel particularly qualified to, to spend too much time talking about it because I, it was so emotional for us as a family, but everything became real. You mm-hmm. know, my daughter who has OCD, who grew up with OCD before the pandemic, in some ways, it's flipped for her. Like, she sort of felt good. She felt safe. Mm-hmm. She felt clean. You know, everything, was, she's sanitizing everything. This is what she spent her whole life doing. And now everybody was doing it. So mm-hmm. her anxiety did actually did not get worse. Her anxiety got better. Because mm-hmm. now the whole world knows how much I've suffered my whole life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it did r- bring to the surface fears that none of us have ever had to carry before. And so exponentially, just the anxiety just, just, doubles and triples for, for new moms who are so compromised, you know, emotionally and sleep deprived and so forth. So it's, it's been really hard. I would love to normalize some of that with you because yeah. it's such a big deal. And there's so much anxiety and fear out there. Pandemic aside, mm-hmm. there's just, so I have to tell you the one thing I'll just never forget. And when I speak of scary thoughts and our hashtag, you know, Instagram speaks a secret and Good moms have scary thoughts. I'm not thinking about the scary thoughts that are really, really scary, Mm -hmm. right? And on the continuum of scary thoughts, we know there are god-awful, gruesome, violent, scary thoughts. And then there's, uh uh-oh, what if she? I forgot her sweater and she gets sick? That's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a scary thought for a mom. So there's a continuum Mm -hmm. of a little bit scary, normal scary, you know, more scary and awful scary. And they're all sort of normal. But I remember my daughter, the day she gave birth, and the baby was slightly compromised and he was creamy and NICU. So he was away from her and she had a complicated birth and she was exhausted. And I, this was before we got kicked out of the hospital room. We had one day with her oh. and we I sat with her. And the very first thing she said to me, she says, mom, I don't even know if she remembers saying this. She says, it's so weird. Like, I don't feel like a mother. I'm like, baby. It's been 24 hours. Your baby's <laughs> upstairs. Mm-hmm. He's in trouble. Mm-hmm. You haven't touched him barely. You've had this, it's, you know, complicated birth and you're lying in bed and you're saying to me, you don't feel like a mother. You know, in my business, we say, duh, duh. <laughs> you know, of course you don't. And we, I sat with her and I thought, wow. And that's the kind of scary thought that I sometimes refer to. It's not like I'm going to hurt my baby, mm-hmm. but Moms don't know that these kinds of thoughts are normal, are common, are expected, mm-hmm. are universal. Mm-hmm. And they don't always go away. Even when your anxiety gets better, mm-hmm. we wonder, am I doing the right thing? Should I be right. doing what she's doing? Wait, why did I say that? I could have said this. Moms are notorious for sort of overthinking, overworrying, you know, being overvigilant, hypervigilant about what a mom they are. Mm-hmm. Sort of. You know, it's, uh, well, it goes all the way back to biology, you know? 
Oh, sure. When I, you know, I have to say, you know, I'm often asked, how did you get into this work and why? And I never have had a good answer for that. Kat. And I, <laughs> I did not have postpartum depression. I didn't have postpartum anxiety, but of course I had anxiety. But I think about what happened to me a few couple weeks ago. I do, because it's just, I had an epiphany. Because we have a garage that appeals to many birds for some reason. Okay. <laughs> no matter what we do to clean it out. And this one bird, they keep coming back. We have very good real estate in my garage. And this, <laughs> this one morning dove, they keep coming back and having Aww. new babies in my garage. Aww. And it does something to me that I can't put into words. And I'm a little embarrassed to say it out loud and to use your airspace to talk about okay. my baby birds. But I go out there and I'm like, Oh my God. And then I see them sitting and sitting and feeding and sitting and then getting up and then the babies and I watch them, my breath, you know, I feel it yeah. in my body. <laughs> yes. I go out there. I'm almost 70. I'm like, good morning. Oh my God. <laughs> this is why they call it an empty nest syndrome, right? Uh-huh. So it dawned on me. I get this physical, compassionate, like thing that happens and it's always been with me. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, this work got came to me. Mm-hmm. It came to me somehow. I created it mm-hmm. me for myself. Like, yeah. what is happening? People aren't talking about this. And I was being exposed to some other work I was doing. Moms aren't feeling good. Wait, why aren't moms feeling good? I grew up mm-hmm. in that generation mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. this is the best time of your life. Right. Sure. And That's I, a party line. I said, yeah. And I said, I don't think so. Something bad's happening. This isn't what I expected was the first book that really, I think, put into words that not all moms feel good, that it's okay to not feel good as a mom. Yeah, absolutely. To still be a good mom. I got off topic. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. Do. Are you kidding? Um, so many people love you and will be happy to hear whatever you have to say. <laughs> Off topic, um, we can just stay off topic. Okay. For sure. We can have just a whole chat and <laughs> it'll be all good. Uh, But I do want to go back to something you were saying because about kind of the different, if the spectrum, if you will, I guess, of scary thoughts. And I love how you, you know, kind of put it into the kind of mild and moderate and severe and intense uh, spectrum because it's hard for somebody who's experiencing it. I guess I would say, especially if it's new or they're just newly aware that they're having them to know what's what. So like, can you speak a little bit more to... I guess, to that range? I'd love to. So one of the things that I said early on was, if I can quote myself correctly here, because <laughs> let me think, one of the worst parts about postpartum depression is that the feelings don't feel like symptoms. They feel like who you are. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is, you know, when you have symptoms of a infection, you know, you have a sore throat and your your chest hurts and you can't have to swallow and you've got a cold. So, you know, these are symptoms. I go to the doctor and I say, here are my six symptoms. But when you have symptoms of postpartum depression, you have, I should never have had this baby. Mm -hmm. I made a big mistake. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to feel like myself again. I wish I wasn't here. My my partner doesn't understand. These don't feel like symptoms. They feel like I'm broken. Mm -hmm. They feel like something's wrong with me. And by the way, that's not just a part of depression. And that's why social media makes me nervous is because there is such an overlapping diagnostic conundrum Mm -hmm. about who's sick, who's not, who's, you know, and who do we need to pay attention to ASAP. Now, Mm -hmm. but back to your your original. So there is a continuum of scary thoughts. And how do we know if what I'm feeling is scary 
too scary. How do we know it's scaring the heck out of me? And then I'm afraid if I say this out loud, I'm going to scare somebody. They're going to take my baby away. That's the right. worst fear. Right. They're going right. to think I'm crazy. Right. Sorry to use that word, but that's often what we think. My partner won't believe me. Yeah. How do we know what this is? So the best take home point for the, our discussion here is that we talk about distress. How much distress is this mm-hmm. thought causing you? And suffering is subjective. So what bothers you may not bother me. What bothers me may not bother you. And distress is defined by the frequency, intensity, and duration. Mm-hmm. So all new moms cry. Every new mom cries. Got hormones going on. Got sleep deprivation going on. Got I'm a new mother. Mm-hmm. But when we take a symptom like that, how much is she crying? How bad is she crying? Right. Meaning how much is it interfering? How long has this been going on? So those three markers equal the level of her distress. Mm-hmm. Are you following me? Mm-hmm. And her distress tells us how much is it interfering with her ability to get through the day? Mm-hmm. How much is it interfering with who she is and mm-hmm. how she usually functions? Right. And that's really what is the, that's what tells us she may need some more support or professional help. Right. Because women are notorious for, for functioning very well with very high levels of distress. Yes. And if she's okay and she's able to do what she needs to do and she's scared and she's worried and she's preoccupied, but she's doing, she may or may not want to do anything about it. And sometimes it just gets better on her own, but she needs to know that it doesn't necessarily mean anything bad is happening mm-hmm. unless she's afraid that something bad is happening. And then her distress is going to be higher. And then she needs to make sure she gets that checked out by a yeah. professional. That's super important. And I think really easy rubric, I guess, if you will, for people to think about themselves. It's, I think, really hard to do a self-assessment sometimes when you're deep, deep in it. Sometimes you only know how bad you felt and when you feel better. But people need this kind of stuff to hold on to, to just, uh, how do I know how bad off I'm feeling or doing? And how do I get help? How do I know when to get help? And I mean, similar to your books, this is just putting information into people's hands is so powerful. And by the way, I actually, we at the Postpartum Stress Center encourage moms to use the book to go to their healthcare provider who may not have the right training, may not have the expertise to know exactly. And may the woman's response typically to what I have to say, you know, speak to secrets, tell people, get the help you need, find a safe person. They're like, it doesn't mean anything if the person you tell it to doesn't know what to do with it mm-hmm. or is frightened by what you're saying or says, oh, my God, you have to go to the ER or I have to call the police or right. whatever. There's so much of that out there still. It's so I just sad. can't possibly knock on all those doors. So right. I'm really counting <laughs> on moms. There are pages in here. In fact, you know, if I had done my homework, I would have prepared better and found the pages. But there are pages here that literally she can say, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I need from you, you know? Mm-hmm. And one of the easiest, quickest fixes that we tell healthcare providers is we don't need you to step into that territory of diagnosing and treating perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. Some people feel comfortable doing that, some don't. But we do need you to hand every single perinatal woman a list of local and internet, you know, what resources yeah. that are reliable that you know who they are, that you yep. know that, you know, that they come yep. from a, a solid foundation. And every woman leaving your office mm-hmm. should have one or two or three or four phone calls 
phone numbers right. or book or right. website that they can get the support. Yeah, it's, it doesn't feel like it should be that hard. I know, don't is. get me started. I know. <laughs> it is. Mm-hmm. Like have an office assistant, just look it up. Right, that could be a whole other topic. We could talk about our anger. We could do a whole thing on how enraged we are about can how we? long we've been saying this. Uh, can right? we? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, so far we have about five more episodes to do. Just I'm ready. Listen, semi-retired. <laughs> no. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. So how do people know if they're having, let's say... It may be a little bit more easy to tell if you're having one of those really intense, scary thoughts that you yourself are really freaked out by that I would say people more associate that with intrusive thoughts. When you say intrusive thoughts, it's like, are those big things that come in and, and scare well, you and and all that? Right. Yeah. And those typically will be related to harm coming to my baby and something bad is going to happen. And my thinking this almost can feel like magical thinking. If I'm thinking this, maybe it's going to happen. Maybe I'm having some premonition. You know, we can have weapons involved. We can think it's going to be me. The most recent research is that it used to be 91. Now it's like 100% of all new moms experience intrusive thoughts related to harm coming to their babies. This is done by Nicole Fairbrother. And 50% of those moms think it's with intention and I'm going to do it. So I'm going to take that thing and I'm going to hurt this baby and I'm going to be doing it on purpose. What? No, I would never do that. And then that causes this, you know, ego, dystonic mm-hmm. anxiety. Right. And That's super important. You said you, they think it's with intention. So the thought is of them doing something, but then they're scared by it and they do not they're want to do that. scared by it. And, that, and being afraid of it is sort of diagnostic information for us. Because of the anxiety that they're expressing, mm-hmm. it tells us it's inconsistent with who I am. This is not, I would never do anything to hurt my baby, but I keep mm-hmm. seeing this image of me hurting my baby. But mm-hmm. would, so their distress is what tells us it doesn't really comfort us, but it helps us understand that this is um, anxiety driven mm-hmm. as opposed to a psychotic thought where mm-hmm. it's, you know, what we call ego syntonic and I'm not afraid of it because in my distorted reality, it actually makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. 
Right. That, that is such an important distinction. So scary. Oh, so, yeah. so, yeah. So there's intrusive thoughts that come with OCD and that come, the, the intrusive thought might come with a whole other set of things, the obsessions and compulsions, but not all intrusive thoughts are OCD related intrusive thoughts. Can you distinguish that for people a little bit? Well, again, that's sort of what we were saying with the distress, you know, that on the spectrum, if the distress is not interfering with your day, and there are there's specific criteria that OCD specialists could address that I uh, didn't do my homework with, but it's like how many times a day, how many obsessions a day, how many compulsions a day meet diagnostic criteria of OCD. So every new mom will go into their baby's room while they're sleeping to make sure that she's breathing. Mm-hmm. Everybody does that. You know, mm-hmm. we wake up or we're up anyway. You know, we go, like, oh, look how cute she is or whatever. And we go back. She doesn't look like she's breathing. We put our hand on her, you know, belly or her back. Wait, where are they? On their, on their belly or in their back? Where's how are baby sleeping? Babies are sleeping now on their back. It's a whole new world, right? <laughs> okay. So we put our hand on their belly, make sure they're breathing. We go back to sleep. Maybe we'll do that two or three times a night. What I would consider within normal anxiety, you know, parameters. Mm-hmm. But a mom with OCD might go in every 15 minutes mm-hmm. or every, you know, or four times an hour, every hour. And the numbers I'm just making up, they're arbitrary. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I can't sleep because I'm going in so many times. Mm-hmm. And I'm exhausted for, for days because I keep going in and checking the baby. And other people might be noticing that she's, that it's interfering. Come and eat. No, I have to go check the baby. You know? Mm-hmm. So again, it's the frequency, intensity, and duration. And does it meet diagnostic criteria of OCD? And so we want to, we need to tease that out. For a long time, we didn't talk about the postpartum anxiety it was all under postpartum depression. And then, you know, OCD now is getting a lot of well-deserved attention for moms who have been suffering for a long time. And a lot of moms, OCD can be present as a feature of having the baby. I've had OCD my whole life and now I've had a baby. Oh my gosh, we can only imagine what that's like. And some moms have never had OCD mm-hmm. and have a baby and then develop these um sort of maladaptive responses to what they think is hypervigilance, again, mm-hmm. biologically triggered by evolution, right? Mm-hmm. Let's take mm-hmm. care of our babies. Mm-hmm. Don't let any harm come to our babies, the birdies. You, know, you can see <laughs> me. I'm ready to breastfeed these baby birds, <laughs> I swear. So there's this a strong uh-huh. thing. It's hard to differentiate from a compulsion, you know, like, mm-hmm. are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Mm-hmm. So it, it takes careful monitoring and attention by both the clinician, you know, the medical provider, the therapist, and mom. What is happening? How bad is it? And that's why we say, this is the biggest problem, Kat. The biggest problem is that moms aren't telling us how bad they feel. And we get it. Mm -hmm. We know why they're not telling us. Not everybody knows that, but we know that. People (laughs) who do this work know that they're Mm -hmm. terrified for many reasons, for many justifiable reasons. One is, biggest one, is somebody's not going to know what to do with this information. And who the hell knows? Will things get worse? And they might. Right. And the other reason that they don't tell us is because it's a shameful, terrible, it doesn't feel consistent with what a new mom should be feeling. And if I don't say it out loud, maybe it will just go away. And so the fact that they're not telling us means we all, as part of, you know, the art of holding perinatal women in distress, the core of my work mm-hmm. has now become teaching clinicians how to get in there when she doesn't want us to. 
Right. And how to understand what we call her authentic suffering mm-hmm. when she wants us to think she's fine. Right. You know? Right. How are you? I'm okay. Are you all right? Yeah. No, mm-hmm. no, no, no. That might be okay <laughs> for your mother, your sister, your neighbor, and your husband, but uh-huh. not okay with me. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, I was thinking too, kind of shifting slightly to your book, What About Us, is, uh, you know, people who are experiencing intrusive thoughts often have a hard time talking to their partners or anybody in their family about it because it feels embarrassing or shameful and, you know, all that stuff. What are they going to think of me? I live with them. Are they going to think I'm thinking about this all the time? So, right, inevitably, it that kind of stuff is going to impact the relationship too, which is, you know, relationship challenges in the postpartum are pretty common because it's hard, super hard. So I think in your What About Us book, you work really hard to kind of normalize and let people see that these challenges happen. Yeah, that's another hour. Are you writing all these down? All the hours that (laughs) we have to follow up with? I know. what about us is another precious little book that sort of, can I? Can oh, please. I, uh, I would love it. Yes. Here we go. Good mom. What about us? So what about us also has the same format with the illustrations and so forth. And what's complicated, let's see if I can do this in a sentence without getting a lot of half the people listening mad at me. I'm old fashioned. I'm old and old fashioned. Oh my God. And so I am a strong believer that, I'm sorry, I mean, I just may upset some people, but I actually believe that women by and large, are often left with the relational baggage and that they are the, are better at it. They are the ones that says, come here, we have to talk. Their mm-hmm. brains are more inclined to do some of that navigating. And men mm-hmm. are a little bit, again, biologically, I'm totally generalizing here, but biological men are, are a little bit more, less inclined to like, let's talk about our feelings, right? Mm-hmm. And so when women are compromised or impaired in some way, and they've sat down or they're, you know, retreating or they're in a little corner someplace. Men are either like, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> they they don't know what to do or what do I do? Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. You know, right. I don't want to tell you. I can't breathe right now. I just can't breathe. Yes, yes. So it causes this, this conundrum of sort of paralysis in the relationship mm-hmm. and we get polarized. And now I have to teach you, mom, while you're suffering, how to take care of your marriage. Sort of. I also hope to tell you, Dad, come on in because we need some extra help. Mm-hmm. And yes, you'll get extra credit for it because it's really, really hard. <laughs> so the, you know, even in the best scenarios with no postpartum depression or anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, couple couples, the relationship is compromised because they're exhausted and they're yeah. frustrated and they're angry and they're tired and they're being screamed at, you know, endlessly. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean by a baby. Sorry. That's <laughs> that's <okay>. I mean. <laughs> maybe by a partner, maybe, maybe by that. the mom. Right. <laughs> right. So it's hard on everybody, but it's really, you know, pay attention to your relationship. It's really important. And a lot of these folks who are struggling aren't getting the support that they need, you know, either from their family or from their social network or community or culture at large. Right. As soon as we start talking about all of the impacts, it just... It gets, how can I say it, like the problem, quote unquote, gets like bigger and bigger and bigger. There's, you know, the person who's suffering and then the family and then the system and that ah, it starts to feel or can feel really overwhelming. How am I going to feel better in the middle of all of this? Right. When I have to take care of myself and a baby and now potentially a partner. Right. 
Yeah, if you're looking for a good answer for that, I don't have it ready with me. <laughs> no, but the no. best response that I have to mom who's listening to this is to stay present and to stay focused and to stay uh, stay connected. The support from her partner is like number one. Mm-hmm. When we feel connected to our partner, everything else feels a little bit better. True. When this doesn't feel good, everything else feels a little bit flimsier. And sometimes the better the relationship is, the less we pay attention to it because it's not going anywhere. We think it's mm-hmm, safe mm-hmm. to just move, you know, forward without it. But it's mm-hmm. not true because then weeks and weeks and weeks and mm-hmm. weeks go by and here we are mm-hmm. sort of feeling separate from each other. So for sure. Right. And I would say, too, you don't have to spend hours and hours every day on the relationship. It can be just mm-hmm. like even once oh. a week just to say, like, I see you. I care about you. And like, I'm tripping out right now. So like, let's check in next week. No, thank you for that. That's a really good point. There, you know, certainly like, you know, date night, haha, who's had that forever? But <laughs> there's a check in sort of five minutes a day, five minutes a week, five minutes. How are you? You okay? Am I? What do I need? What do I, what am I doing that you want me to stop doing and so forth? But there's also little baby micro things, you know, like, you okay? Mm-hmm. You know, or a look or, mm-hmm. you know, a peck on the forehead. I mean, that, that kind right. of stuff can go very far. Stay connected, just touch, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. No sex, nothing busy like that. We don't want to do all that stuff yet. We just want to pay attention. I know, you know, you should know I'm watching you and I care about you. Mm-hmm. And there are very easy ways to to communicate that without like sitting down and talking about your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you also have a, the, the postpartum husband. It's a really, your book is a great example. It of is that. now the postpartum partner. Do you know that? Oh, I didn't know. Yes. We're trying to stay um, relevant. So this is the original book, and then Mm -hmm. we just updated it. Oh, very exciting. Yeah, so we updated it, and it's the same book with the same information, Mm -hmm. but we just wanted to be more inclusive for couples. Yeah, for sure. It's a a really good resource for folks who don't want to sit down and read a book. Like Good Moms, you know, it's sort of Mm -hmm. easy. It compartmentalizes everything in a digestible way that makes it. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. It does. Well, I think, uh, you know, I feel like we've only just brushed the very surface of all that you do. We need three or four more hours Uh, right now. Okay. I've got time. All right. Let's go. (laughs) No, seriously. I'm happy to have you back anytime for from any reason. I love talking to you. I love the work that you do and how many people you've helped. And I know that for the folks listening are going to be so excited to hear from you. I love seeing you too and talking with you. Well, um, and the work that you do. Can we oh. talk about how fabulous you are just for a oh second? My gosh. This is amazing Here, what you, you can, do. You can save that for when you interview me. <laughs> okay. Got that. That's a deal. <laughs> Anyhow, I thank you for the kind words and thank for you. your time. I know how precious it is and appreciate you spending some of it with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you again, Karen, for coming on. Anyone who wants to find out more about Karen and her trainings can go to postpartumstress.com. And moms can find support from the Postpartum Stress Center on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, which includes their hashtag SpeakTheSecret campaign that busts the stigma of perinatal intrusive thoughts. Please do share this episode with anyone who you think could benefit from understanding more about intrusive thoughts, which, by the way, is everyone. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. 
Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at mom and mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.